The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com slash connect. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. That's great. Uh, good to see you. If you before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you uh, have worshipped with us. If you're new in particular, just uh, hope that you feel welcome. Uh, welcome both from us, but also a welcome from the Lord himself, that he invites you uh, to experience him, to know him, to, to hear from him. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get to John 14. Uh, just like last week, it, that won't be on the screen. It's going to be our primary text today, uh, but it won't be on the screen. So you're going to want it in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one uh, somewhere in the seat backs around you somewhere. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home. That's our gift to you. Uh, John chapter 14. We are turning the corner into section three of the creed. So if you remember, as we've been journeying through the Apostles' Creed, we've seen that the creed is distinctly Trinitarian. And what I mean by that is that it points to the three persons of the one God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And section one was all about God the Father, right? That he's almighty. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And then we just wrapped up week uh, section two on Jesus, God, the son, the one who has come into the world, taken on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God. And just like we saw last week, will one day return to judge the living and the dead. Thank you for coming back after that sermon. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, we're turning now into section three, talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity and the work he does in the church. And we'll start today by looking at this very simple and yet wondrously complex line. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about today. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So if you would, I know you just sat down, got settled in, but stand one more time for me as we read the Apostles' Creed together. If you're new, you're not a Christian, just stand and watch us. That's totally okay. No harm, no foul. Apostles' Creed, this is our confession as followers of Jesus. Say this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Before you take a seat, let's pray. Lord, we come to you as your humble servants and your humble people. Only By the grace and mediation of our Savior, do we approach your throne. And yet, because of the work of your Son, we approach with confidence. Lord, we ask for what we need. And so in this moment, among the many things that we need, Lord, we need you to speak. We need you to speak as you have for thousands of years. Take your word by the power of your Spirit and get it into our hearts such that we are changed. Lord, we will settle for nothing less than your presence here among us right now. So do what only you can do. Shape us, mold us, change us, convict us, turn us around, point us towards you. Lord, we love you. We need you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, grab a seat. 
Well, summer 2023 uh, has been the summer of pools and water in the Olson household. So it has been uh, unbearably and unreasonably hot. And that's not a statement on climate change. It's just fact, okay? And that's a joke. We're good. We're at church. It's all right. <laughs> and our three-year-old daughter, Harper, is in swim lessons. And so the combination of very warm and a child trying to get used to the water has led us to find any pool that we can find. And so a few weeks ago, I was at the Harris YMCA enjoying the pool with Harper. And by enjoying the pool, I mean we play the same game every single time, which is she goes to the ledge. She says, Daddy, are you ready? I say, I'm ready. She jumps in. I catch her. I turn her right back around and lift her back out. And we do it again and again, and again, and again, and again. My shoulders have gotten huge this summer, all right? And so eventually, I just couldn't do it anymore. She was having a blast, but I was done. And so I said, hey, babe, look, there are water slides. Do you want to try the water slides? Now, in case you missed last week, uh, you missed me talking about how fearful I was as a child, and unfortunately for her, the apple does not fall far from the tree. And so she is always trepidatious and a bit nervous and a bit bit squeamish about trying something new. And so I knew she was going to respond the way she responded, because she responds this way every single time I ask her to do something new, and that is this, will you come with me? Anytime she steps into something new, she wants to know, will you come with me? We got her into soccer for the first time this past spring, which was a horrendously terrible idea. And every time she went to step onto the field, she wanted to know the same thing. Will you come with me? Or when we were dropping her off at preschool for the first time last August, and she steps foot in her classroom, and she asks, turns around and looks at us and says, I'm just going by myself. And we're like, yeah. And she asks the same question. Will you come with me? Or when I say, hey, Harper, we need some more groceries. Do you want to go to the grocery store? And she says, will you come with me? And I'm like, yes, you're not driving. (laughs) Of course. She wants to know, when I step into something new, when I step into this place of uncertainty, will you come with me? Now, what on earth does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, what I want to show us today from John chapter 14 is everything. It has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Because the question that Harper is asking me time and time again, me, her earthly father, I would argue is the question at the core of many of our hearts of our heavenly father. Is it not? Do you ever find yourself with that deep question of your soul? Is God with me? Like when when I'm walking through the trial, or when the, the suffering feels just a bit unbearable, or when I'm entering into that new situation, or when I'm facing this temptation of this particular sin for the 100,000th time, is God with me? That's a question that sticks on many of our minds, and that's the question actually on the minds of the disciples in John chapter 14. So this text that we're about to dive into comes right at the end of what Christians call the Last Supper. So this is the night Jesus is going to be betrayed. It's about 24 hours or so before he's crucified. And just before this, he washes his disciples' feet. He institutes the sacrament of communion that we celebrate every Sunday. And then right before this section of verse 15, he tells them, I'm about to leave. And by the way, you can't come with me and you won't see me again for a long, long time. Now, it's important that you know that this is not on the disciples' radar at all. So up until this point, they thought Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who was supposed to reign on the throne of David, conquer their enemies, the Romans, establish the kingdom of Israel forever. And now he's like, by the way, I'm going to leave and I'm not going to see you for a long, long time. So of course, they're asking these questions in John 14. Wait, wait, what? Like, you're leaving? Where are you going? Why can't we come with you? I thought you were going to be with us forever. 
The resounding answer from Christ to his disciples to calm their hearts is the same promise he now makes to all of us who trust in him. Yes, I am with you always, but not necessarily how you expect. So let's look at the passage together. John 14, we'll read a couple of verses. We'll start in verse 15. John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Skip down to verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What I want us to understand in the the deep recesses and places of our soul this morning is that when we confess together, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are not simply affirming that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. We're not simply affirming that the Holy Spirit brings miraculous gifts like leadership and serving and generosity and tongues and healing and prophecy, though both of those statements are true. What we are confessing as we join our voices to the people of God throughout history and across the globe is this. The Holy Spirit is the resounding yes throughout time to God's people asking, will God be with me? I want you to get that at the deep part of your core this morning, that the Holy Spirit is the resounding yes throughout time to this question on all of our hearts, will God be with me? In these seven verses, we're going to unpack four crucial truths that I want to spend our time exploring and being encouraged by together. God is with us in suffering. He's with us in temptation. He's with us in the church, and he's with us to the end. That's where we're headed over the next few minutes. Let's look at this together. Number one, God is with us in suffering. God is with us in suffering. Look at verse 16 of John 14 with me. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you Forever. So when Jesus tells his disciples he's sending the Holy Spirit, he refers to the Spirit as the helper. Now the Greek word there, which is used in several other places in the New Testament, is the word parakletos or paraclete. And one of the predominant ways that this word is translated is consoler or comforter. So if you're in a different translation than the ESV, what I'm using, it might read, I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Suffering has a unique way of making us feel alone, does it not? If you walk through suffering, even if you're surrounded by great community, even if they love you well and ask all the right questions and say all the right things when they should say stuff and be silent when they should be silent, even if they love you in every way you want them to love you, there's still a sense in which that helps but doesn't fully solve the loneliness, right? There's a sense in which suffering makes us feel alone, not just in our horizontal relationships but also in our vertical relationship with God. Have you ever been in that season of suffering where you're sitting in the armchair and you're praying and you're like, am I just throwing words at the ceiling? Like, am I just saying things into the world? Like, is is God actually listening to me and present with me? Jesus says and tells us in those feelings of loneliness that we have a great counselor, a great helper, God the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and by the Son to be our counselor, our 
consoler, our comforter in times of suffering and sorrow. But what's crazy about John 14 is that he doesn't just say the Holy Spirit is going to be with us. That'd be enough, right? But that the Holy Spirit is going to be in us. Look at verse 17. He says, you know him, him being the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing forward to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. So Jesus dies, he rises again, he ascends, and then he and the Father send the Holy Spirit to live in or to indwell all who trust in Christ Jesus. So from Acts 2 forward, even to today, if you're a follower of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so Jesus says, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart because God the Holy Spirit, if you trust in Christ, lives in you. I will come and not just be with you, but be in you, he says to the disciples. And this is absolutely flooring for them. To hear God was going to dwell in them would have been shocking because of how God's presence was up until that point. So go back with me all the way to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? The God's original design. Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden. They experience his unmediated presence. And yet even though they have this intimacy with God, they rebel, right? They disobey, they break his command, they sin, and sin enters the world, and they're sent out of the garden. They're sent east of Eden. But they're not just sent out of paradise, they're actually sent out of the presence of God. And the journey of humanity, if you track it from Genesis 3 onward, is the journey back to, but inability to be fully in God's presence, there's a separation between God's presence and God's people in the Old Testament, right? Dan explored this a few weeks ago. Only one man, the great high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies, the part of the temple where God's presence dwelt and lived. And even then, only once a year, and only after incredible amounts of purification rituals and routines, lest he be struck down and die. God's presence in the Holy of Holies, separated from his people by a veil. But what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, Matthew 27? The veil which separates God's presence from God's people is what? It's torn in two. Showing no longer do you have to be have a mediated presence, but now God's presence, which was in the Holy of Holies, separated from his people, is now going to come and actually live not with his people, but inside of his people. God himself will actually come. The, the God who over and over again in the Old Testament, when he appeared to people in the fullness of his presence, said, turn away, you can't look. Now says, I'm coming to live inside of humanity, to live inside of you and inside of me. And so the good news for us when we suffer is that, yes, God is with you, but even better, he's in you, which means though he may feel distant, he's actually closer to you than you can even fathom or imagine. He's more aware of the depth of your pain than you're even able to process. He knows your prayers before you can even formulate the words. He knows your prayers even when your prayers are just ugh, groaning, tears, sorrow. Those prayers you know where you're like, I'm not even saying words. I'm crying so hard, I'm just mumbling. And yet the scriptures say the Holy Spirit gives word to those prayers of groaning because he lives within us. And he offers us, in his indwelling presence, peace. This is what Jesus says in verse 26. Look at it with me. He says, the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, this is a really key phrase. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them 
be afraid. Jesus says, I give you peace very unlike the offers of peace from the world. Like, how, how, does, how does the world offer us peace, right? Hey, pithy statements, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out in the end. Cheer up, buckaroonie. Or maybe, hey, just numb yourself. Just look for some distraction. I know it's hard. I know it's painful, but you've got endless lists of things you can stream and distract yourself with. That don't work. False offers of peace. And Jesus says, but I don't give you peace like the world offers it. I'll leave you something better. Because the peace Jesus offers is not some fleeting feeling. It's not some easily lost state of mind, or it's not dependent on your circumstances being fixed or changed. The peace Jesus offers is a person, person of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. I've seen this up close and personal over the past few weeks and months as we've walked through our season of grief and suffering that we've been sharing on over the past month and a half. One of the lines I've been hearing Lindsay, my wife, say time and time again, both to me and to others, is, quote, it feels like I'm being held together by God. You ever had that experience in suffering? Where it feels like I'm, I'm, the only way I can explain it is that I'm being held together by God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us in our suffering. So will God be with us in our suffering? Yes, but even better, he'll be within us, pointing us to Christ. Second, God is with us in temptation. God is with us in temptation. Look back at verse 16. Once again, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even, he says, verse 17, the Spirit of truth. So Holy Spirit is the great paraclete, the great helper, counselor, but he's also, according to Jesus, the spirit of truth. Now, one of the consistent refrains in the scriptures is that God is a God of truth. So God's word in the Bible is called the word of truth. Jesus calls himself, John 14, 6, the truth. And now here, the Holy Spirit, he calls the spirit of truth. Now, what does that have to do with temptation? Well, the Holy Spirit, being the spirit of truth, is meant to be placed in contrast to the enemy of God and his people. They're what the scriptures call the Satan or the devil. If you're like, sweet, devil and Holy Spirit, one sermon. I know, I'm excited, like two. And we said this before, that the primary way the devil works to derail the people of God, through, to go against God's people, is not through making your car break down or through giving you food poisoning or making you fail a test, right? The primary way God's enemy works against God's people is through lies, is through deceit. So the spirit is a spirit of truth and the devil is a liar. Jesus himself says this earlier in John chapter 8. He says, when the devil lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil is a liar. The primary way he is working against you, if you are a part of the people of God, is through deceit and lies, but not deceit and lies about stupid things. All right, he's not showing up at your doorstep, showing up to your quiet time, being like, don't believe the Bible, the earth is flat. Like, that's not what he's doing, right? He's deceiving about things that matter in the depths of our hearts. He's deceiving us with things that entice us. Hey, do you really think God would want you to forgive that person? Doesn't that sound kind of harmful to you? Hey, do you really think God doesn't want you to be happy? Wouldn't he want you to go after this thing that you want? Hey, do you really think God's going to provide for your family, or do you need to cut some corners and neglect them a little bit at home so you can do more work? The devil's been doing this from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3 onward, right? Using lies to deceive God's people about the goodness of God such that they turn and rebel against him. In the words of one early Christian theologian, every sin starts with a lie about God. 
Every sin starts with a lie about God. And so Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to live inside of all who trust in me. And one of his primary roles is to reorient and ground God's people in truth, in the reality of God and his kindness and his goodness, such that they choose holiness and not sin, such that we are sanctified and not rebellious, such that we do not give into temptation, but rather grow to become more like Jesus. Then the question becomes, how does the Spirit do this? Well, turn over with me two chapters to John 16. This is a continuation of the message Jesus is giving to his disciples. And this is what he says in verse 8. 16.8, he says, And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In verse 14, this is really important. He will glorify me. The Spirit will glorify the Son. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is with us in temptation. And in that, he does two primary things. First, he convicts us of sin. So Jesus says in verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin. He shows us the truth that what is contrary to God's design. It's that voice that speaks over us, right? As we're pausing before we say the harsh thing. That, that voice that speaks to us when we're about to participate in the gossip. The voice that speaks to us when we're about to take that look we shouldn't take. The voice that speaks to us when we're about to lash out at our children or our spouse or our roommate or our friend. That is the work of the Holy Spirit living within us, bringing us conviction. And he does this primarily through the word of God. That's how he guides us into all truth, through God's word. Because the Spirit wrote the scriptures, right? 1 Peter 1. And the Spirit preserved the scriptures. The Spirit still speaks today through the scriptures, Hebrews 4. And the Spirit will bring back to memory the scriptures when we need them. And this is why time and time again as a church, we push the practice of scripture. Reading it, memorizing it, studying it, meditating on it. Not just because of the benefits of those five minutes in the morning before you head into your day. Because of the benefits of that moment of temptation when the Lord, by the power of his spirit, will bring that scripture back to mind such that you might choose holiness and not sin. That's the goodness of the scriptures. But second way that he does this is not just by convicting us of sin, but the spirit also points to the glory of Jesus. He will glorify me, Jesus says. The spirit works and lives to make much of Jesus in our hearts because, and here's what you have to understand, that is bad is not good enough for long-term holiness. You tracking with me? Like, if you want to follow Jesus over the long haul, if you want to look more like Christ in five decades as you, than you do now, right? You have to have a working theology of sin that is more than just, that's bad, so I stay away. Your heart has to be drawn to something. You have to be more in love with something than you are with the deeds of the flesh. You have to be more in love and enticed and captivated by the beauty of Jesus, such that this grows more dim. That's sin, by the way, not the stand. So that sin grows more dim and Christ grows more beautiful. And that's what the Spirit does. One theologian jokingly refers to the Holy Spirit as the shy spirit. He lives to glorify Jesus in our hearts so that we fall more in love with him. So will God be with me when I suffer? Yes. He lives within us as our peace. Will he be with me in temptation? Yes. He lives to convict us and to magnify the beauty and glory of Christ. Number three, God is with us in the church. 
God is with us in the church. We're going to go really in depth on the church next week. Really excited about that. It's the next line of the creed. Uh, But one thing I want you to notice really quickly is back in verse 17. I love the scriptures. You can get so much just out of one verse. John 14, 17. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for, notice this, he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, so stick with me here. When Jesus says the spirit will dwell with you and be in you, what he means is not simply that the Holy Spirit will dwell with us and in us individually, but also that he will come and dwell with us and in us collectively. So the Holy Spirit dwells in each individual believer. If you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And also the Holy Spirit dwells collectively in the collective group of Jesus followers, a.k.a. the church. This is seen elsewhere in scripture. I'll give you just two. Ephesians chapter two, this whole chapter on the church. Paul says, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. He goes on to talk about how the church is like the temple the new temple of God, which holds God's presence. Or Matthew 18, Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, and in context, he's talking about the church. There am I among them. That means, here's what that means, what we do here when we gather together as the people of God. That's what the the church is, right? The church is not a building, and it's also not you by yourself roaming around on the earth, right? The church is the gathered, called out people of God. Greek ekklesia, it's the original word for it. It literally means called out and assembled, right? The church, what we do when we gather together is extremely normal and ordinary and not ordinary and normal at all. All right, so stay with me here. The church, what we do when we gather together is extremely normal and ordinary. You know, if you show up every week, you're like, we do the same stuff, right? We stand up, we get called to worship, we're told to raise our hands, we sing a little bit, we pass, like we do the confession, we have a silent time, and then we remember the gospel, and then we sing a little more, and then I shake some awkward hands of people that I don't, you know, that are like new, and all that fun stuff, and then we sit down, and we listen to Tim talk for 40 minutes, or Garrison talk for 40 minutes, or Dan talk for 30 minutes, and... (laughs) And then we stand up again, and we respond, we take communion, and we pray, and we sing, and then we go home, right? It's extremely ordinary. Like, it's, it's very, very normal. And in some ways, that's actually a good thing. I don't have time for this, but here we are. Uh, in some ways, the repetition is meant for the sake of actually pushing it down on a deeper level into just our thoughts, right? And so the reason why, it's like we've done the same confession in the last 10 weeks. The reason why we do that is because you're not going to catch it in a day. I'm not going to catch it in a day right? We're, we're reading the Apostles' Creed together, and for the first time, I was like, I know the next line before the slide gets there. And we've been in this for nine weeks, because we need that repetition. We need the normalcy. We need the ordinariness. What we do here is not a show. It's not some hype train. We're just here trying to worship and celebrate Jesus together. It's very ordinary, very rhythmic, very normal. But on the other hand, because we're two or more gathered in his name, Jesus is there with us. It is anything but ordinary and normal. It is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It is beautiful. It is wonderful because the Holy Spirit is here with us when we gather. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we call ourselves to worship. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we sing. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we confess our sins. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we remember the gospel. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we sing again. The Holy Spirit is here with us, yes, when we greet one another. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we preach. The Holy Spirit is here with us when we take communion. Here with us when we pray. Here with us when we are sent back out into the world. Now, yes, he is always with us as the people of God. Like he, he is with you when you're in your armchair in the morning reading the scriptures and praying. 
He is with you when you gather as a community group to confess your sin, open up the scriptures, and encourage one another. He's with you when you grab the coffee with the believer and pray. He's with you when you go to your job. He's with you when you're trying to serve and love your spouse. He's with you in your friendships. Yes, and amen, but there's something unique and extraordinary according to the scriptures about this time and this space and the way God interacts with us here. And so what that means is when we step into this, this reality as the gathered people where the Holy Spirit is with us in a unique and special way that we believe God might actually do the miraculous. Like we believe when we step foot into this space, God might actually show up and speak. We step in for an ordinary, regular, let's do all the things we do Sunday. We believe God might actually move in power. So the question is, do you actually believe that? Do you actually have that expectation? Like when you rub the sleep out of your eyes and you roll up at 9.30 a.m., 9.25, you take a seat, and then we stand and we do the call to worship and we sing. Do you actually believe and desire and long for with eagerness and expectation that God might do something through the Holy Spirit? That that won't be just an ordinary Sunday. Then in some ways it'll be incredibly ordinary, but in other ways it might be a marked moment in your life that God might use to change you, shape you, mold you, convict you, and completely turn your life upside down. If you don't believe that, what are we doing here? Why do we do this? We need hearts that believe this, eyes that look to this, that when we're singing a song that we've sung a hundred times before, we're not just saying some words because it's part of the Christian routine and religious rituals. We're saying these words because we believe them and we're asking that God might make them more and more true in our lives. This is part of why you may have picked up on this over the past few months. Myself and some of our leaders, when we're praying, we'll pray just this simple three-word phrase, come Holy Spirit. You might hear us praying that. You might hear us saying that. And the, the thing behind that is not that we're asking the Holy Spirit to do something he's not already doing. We're not saying come Holy Spirit like he's not already here because we're gathered in his name. We're doing that as a way of asking, Lord, would you make us more aware of the presence that's already promised and here in this place? Would you help us be more aware of the reality that you're here to meet with us and change us and mold us and shape us? What we do here is not ordinary. The Spirit of God is here. So come Holy Spirit, amen? Amen. Number four, we'll close here. God is with us to the end. God is with us to the end. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When Jesus promises his disciples and us, I will not leave you as orphans, it's the promise that everything that is currently true, God is with us in suffering, he's with us in temptation, he's with us in the church, will be true until Christ returns or calls us home to be with him. He will not leave us as orphans. Some of our community group is reading through Romans together. Uh, And just this week, I came to Romans 8, 23, and I think it says this idea so perfectly. It says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've talked about this before, but a first fruit is the crop in the harvest that pops out of the ground first to show more harvest is coming. We're thinking about a more like example we might resonate with. It's the initial de- deposit when you're purchasing a home, right? You put the deposit down and it's evidence. I'm putting a little bit towards this as a sign that one day, Lord willing, if everything goes smoothly, the house will be ours. 
And the Holy Spirit is a, a better version of that. He's the first roots. He's the initial deposit. He's evidence that you get a little bit now, and what you're experiencing a little bit now of, you'll get fully and forever in eternity with Jesus. Meaning we get a taste of everything offered to us in the Holy Spirit, but one day everything the Spirit offers will be in full. So let me just show you this, right? So right now we get glimpses of peace. Like there are, are moments in our suffering where the Holy Spirit breaks in. It's like God himself is holding on to us. And we experience peace even though our surrounding circumstances are going to crap, right? But one day, a day is coming, where we'll be in the new creation. A place not of peace in suffering, but peace without suffering. Total and forever perfection and righteousness and joy. And so the peace we get now from the Holy Spirit, these little glimpses in our everyday life, is the first fruit that more and full and forever peace is coming. But right now we get help in our temptation, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, helps us delight in Christ. But a day is coming where that delight will be full. Where we'll see Christ, not as a, in a mirror dimly lit, but in fullness, There'll be no more sin and no more temptation. I mean, can you imagine a life where you don't have to block out lustful thoughts? Like, can you imagine a life where you don't have to resist with your whole self the desire to step into the gossip? Like, can you imagine a life in which someone cuts you off in traffic and your initial response is not to yell? A world not just free of sin, but free of temptation. That level of holiness. And right now, every victory you experience over temptation is the first fruit that total and complete victory is coming. As we gather together with God's people, the church, he meets us, he works in our hearts as we worship him, and we celebrate and feast in the table of communion, and we open up his word. But then what happens? 1045, 11-ish, rolls around, and we leave, we depart. But what we get to do here is a foretaste, the first fruit that one day worship will not end that one day we will celebrate King Jesus forever around his throne, that one day what we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit in this gathering is the first fruit that forever worship will come. We will enjoy God forever with his people. So that's the good news of this line of the creed, that not only is God with us in suffering, and he's with us in temptation, and he's with us in the church, but he's doing all of that until he returns or calls us home to be with himself. I hope for you that the creed is only getting more beautiful. I hope for you that as we are saying this every week and as you think about these core doctrines of our faith, that each line is just illuminating more and more the beauty of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That when we get to confess together, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We are saying this. This is where we'll close. This is what we confess we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We are confessing, I believe God now lives in me. His presence is always with me, comforting me in my grief and sorrow, sanctifying and maturing me by the conviction of sin, glorifying Jesus and shaping and growing my affections for him, molding me as I worship with his people, bringing me into his family, and guaranteeing all of that until Christ returns or brings me home to be with him. What a glorious, worshipful reality. Let's pray together. God, we love you, and we worship you, and we confess, we believe in the Holy Spirit. That even right now, he is with us, he's in us, both individually and collectively, that he is taking our words, and giving them power and lifting them to you. Lord, and so we're grateful that you have not left us on our own. We're grateful that you 
sent, in the words of Jesus, something that's even better than Jesus being with us forever. You sent the Holy Spirit. God with us, in us, giving us peace in suffering, giving us strength in temptation, giving us joy in life in the church, and giving us confidence that one day Christ will return. So Lord, we want to be a spirit people, spirit-driven, spirit-filled, in step with, walking with, living by the power of the Spirit. So help us in that. Before we move on to our time of response, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And We did this last week. We're going to do it again this week because I just want to give some space. We've, I've said a lot of words. We've sung a lot of words. We've talked a lot of words. And so I just want to give you some space in silence with the Holy Spirit just to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to me? So just you keep your eyes closed if it's helpful. You can kneel. You can stay seated. Whatever you need to do bodily to just get in this space to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you prompting in my heart? And let me just give you those, those three things I want you to, to chew on, each in line. One, maybe you need to believe the Holy Spirit is with you right now in your suffering. Maybe you're walking through the fire, you're walking through pain, you're walking through hurt, and you need the Holy Spirit to remind you, I'm with you in this. I'm offering you peace, not in it being fixed, but right now in the midst of it. Or maybe you are just struck by temptation. And maybe for you, that temptation feels so real and so powerful and so constant. And so for you, the Holy Spirit just wants to speak and move to give you power, to give you grace, to stand up under it, to know you don't fight alone. Maybe for you, you need to remember the Spirit is with us right now as the church. And this has become mundane. It's become routine. It's become boring. What you do here every Sunday has just become something you check off the list, and you need a reinvigorated sense of God's presence and movement in this place with these people. So wherever you are, suffering, temptation, within the church, I just want to give you some space real quick to be silent with the Lord, to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to me, Spirit. It's come, Holy Spirit. Thank you.